Good morning, Harvest. Good morning. It, it is my, uh, I'm so glad. I'm, I'm, it's such a pleasure to be here. To be, I, I, I mean that literally because, again, just hours ago, um, days ago, we didn't know if we would be in this building at this time. Just even two days ago, I didn't know if I would still be in Florida, if not, uh, if because the airport had already uh, had closed. Um, and, uh, and just the, and for some of you, uh, let me just share this. Let me just share this. And, and my message this morning uh, will be a little shorter. Uh, maybe even less kind of uh, high energy in terms of kind of in delivery, but we'll see how that goes, okay? Uh, it may be a little bit more sobering, okay? Um, because I'm going to talk about, uh, we've talked about the garden, <laughs> the way it was supposed to be, and, and how God meets us even in the garden when we've, uh, uh, when we've hidden behind trees and fig leaves. To, to meet us and pursue us at our deepest shame. Um, we, then we uh, talked about, you know, this is, this is how, how, how scattered I am. What did I speak on on, uh, on, on Saturday night? I just... Wilderness, thank you, thank you. DL, I can't rewind the video and go through. But the wilderness, uh, again, from the garden into the wilderness. And uh, again, how God is with us in the wilderness. And the purpose of the wilderness is to draw us into himself more than even draw us out of the wilderness. Because at the wilderness is when you realize that God, God is all you have, and at the same time, he's all you need. He's all you need. And then last night, what did I speak on last night? This is, uh, what did I speak? Oh, I, I spoke on, huh? Jonathan, Jonathan, Jonathan. Yes, that's right. Um. <laughs> I am so scattered right now, okay? That's maybe why I'm going to be a little low energy. I'm just trying to catch up a little bit here. But Jonathan is talking about the battles that we face uh, in spite of opposition. Opposition from within, and oftentimes, yeah, opposition from within your own kind of uh, family and, and the people you re would rely upon, as well as the uncertainties of the unknown and how God, with armor bearers that he sends to us, help us to, to climb mountains, to face battles that we otherwise wouldn't be able to do so by, by ourselves. And today, um, if I'm, I'm trying to weave a little bit here and trying to connect all these messages is this. What do you do when you get into the promised land? You've crossed that Jordan. <laughs> you've, you've, bought, you've, fought some, uh, you've fought some nasty battles, uh, weathered some incredible storms. What do you do when you get into the promised land? What should our mindset be? as we get into the promised land. So that's what I'm going to speak on, because some of us, we're just hanging on. I, 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 I believe it's, it's life, it's the struggles, it's sin. Uh, they said uh, there's the Holy Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Have you ever heard, someone has said, uh, there's the unholy trinity that we're fighting against. <laughs> it's the flesh, the world, and the enemy. Is that's the reality. We still live in the flesh. We live in a world that is hostile and, and, and distant from the gospel. And we have an enemy who's trying to undo what God is trying to accomplish, even though he's already defeated. He's trying to distract and devour those whom God is using. But once you get into the promised land, and I believe a lot of us, the promised land, let me, if I may, and I, I, please forgive me if, uh, because I'm not placing a judgment statement on this, is this. The promised land is like empty nesting. 
I've gone, I've gone through my education. I've gone through maybe the single years. I've gone through parenting. Oh, I'm empty nesting. I'm at that point where, wow, I can just be a fan of Jesus and dial down being a follower of Jesus. So that's what I'm going to talk about. That mindset that we all, if we're to be honest, can't wait to get to that whatever it is, life stage, a place in our career, place in our marriage, a place financially where we can just kick it in the stands <laughs> versus being on the front lines. So let's pray. And then uh, let's see how God uh, will deliver, a, hopefully, a, a timely message based on his time, timeless word. Father, I thank you so much for every single person here. And again, I don't know everyone, but in Christ, they're my brother and my sister, and we're all your beloved. And therefore, I have the privilege of speaking to brothers and sisters, fellow beloved sons and daughters of you. So we look to your word. We look to your word to, to know your heart, because your heart is for us. Your heart is for us to know you more, to know ourselves better in you, and also for us to, to draw near to you and to reflect you in a way that brings glory to you and brings others to yourself. So, Father, would you use this last session? I know many are tired, uh, many are distracted, <laughs> um, but I pray that you would give us uh, both the alertness, the attention by your Spirit to hear from you so that we would not just receive but also believe and respond and obey by faith. In Jesus' name, amen. I believe, and it's interesting, uh, James, uh, James and Casey have been tremendous hosts and friends for me this weekend. We were talking on the way here, and James and I have had some good talks uh, in the car, okay? And, uh, um, and it's good heart-to-heart -heart talks. But he said something on the way into this building just a few minutes ago. He said this, and we were literally, some of you might have noticed, said this to yourselves, wow, we were supposed to have a hurricane today. Like literally, the, the clouds are still. You, don't, you can barely feel a wind. There's no per, uh, uh, precipitation in the air. Wow. What? I, um, and I think many of us, including myself, we think that's the promised land. You know, I've, I've fought through the wilderness, through the deserts, the valleys. Ah. But just like, if I may indulge us a little bit, just like the, the hurricane, it might actually be the eye. But I, th I think a lot of Christians, when we get into that places of our lives, ah, oh, finally, <laughs> we, 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 we take it into a lower gear, we spiritually relax, say, ah, oh, but the thing is, the reality is, life, I would say, and many times it's like a hurricane, it comes in waves. Enjoy those seasons of rest, renewal, retreating, re refreshment, replenishment, but the reality is, on this side of eternity, there's battles to be fought, and there's victories to be seen. And so I just want to point us to a story in the New Testament where Paul in particular and Barnabas, they didn't let take the foot off the pedal. 
And that's maybe how I want to end our time together. Because again, uh, it's, it, it's, we all fall into this mindset. We want leisure and comfort. Again, we'll endure for a little while until we get to the point of leisure and comfort, kind of spiritual empty nesting. But that's not what a disciple looks like. So let's look there with me. In Acts chapter, uh, it's, my text says Acts 14. But if you, go, if you wouldn't mind, I'm going to bump us back or move us back to Acts 13, verse 48. Just a little bit more color and, uh, and context. And then we'll go into Acts chapter 14. Okay? And again, Paul and Barnabas, they've been commissioned by uh, the, the New Testament church and uh, by Antioch saying, go. God has set you apart. Go. Preach the gospel. Preach. And we're going to be with you through prayer. We're going to send you guys. And, and let's see what God accomplishes. And they're experiencing tremendous fruit. As long, along with fruit, there's also persecution and pain. But look what happens in verse 48 of chapter 13. Let me read that aloud. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word uh, of the Lord. And as many were appointed to eternal life, they believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the, the devout women of high, high standing and the leading men of the city, stirring up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and they drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went on to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit, chapter 14. Now, at Iconium, they entered together into a Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the, up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentile and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them. They learned of it. They fled to Lystra and to Derbe, cities of Lyaconia, and into the surrounding country, and there they continued to preach the gospel. I'm going to pause there. I know my, my text um, behind me goes a little bit further, but I want to pause there, and I'll, but we'll walk through the, 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 the passages that follow. Why, 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 am, uh, why am I talking about this this morning? The, again, the mentality that easily we can fall into spiritual empty nesting, looking forward and living for the eye of the storm, thinking that's actually uh, the, the, the goal of the Christian life is to battle and endure through the wilderness so that we can get into the promised land. Uh, here's, here's why. One of my favorite quotes that I heard about the wilderness is this. The wilderness is a boot camp and the promised land is the battlefield. That the wilderness is actually a training ground, a proving ground, a testing ground. Again, not of our worth, our value, our ability, but God's power, God's worth, and his ability. And so when we get and cross into the, the Jordans, to cross the Jordans into the promised land, I'm here to tell you, I'm here to remind you, brothers and sisters, it, again, the, the Israelites were misled to thinking the promised land is where they can just kick back, enjoy all the fruits, integrate with uh, those who aren't the people of God and intermingle and try to be like them and, and try to incorporate them into a holy covenant with God with, uh, without, with, without regard of God's uh, covenant with them. And I think that's the mentality of the Western North American modern Christian. We feel the wilderness is the battlefield, and the promised land is the, is the goal. 
That's the destination. Brothers and sisters, um, discipleship sees the promised land as the battlefield. That there are still victories to be won, people to hear and see and experience through us the grace, the goodness, and the power of God. So ultimately, they would put their faith in Christ. That's a shift in mentality. And I share this because uh, I believe that's the mark of discipleship. The, the discipleship is not just saying, I'll endure for a little while, but I'm going to endure to the end. I'm going to press into Christ to the end. I'm going to focus on the kingdom until the end. See, the early church was so effective and fruitful in building God's kingdom because they understood discipleship. And that's kind of be the the key phrase for my message this morning, because discipleship was not a one-time decision to receive Christ, but rather a daily, moment-by-moment dependence on the Spirit of Christ and living out the gospel of grace, especially if and when they faced opposition, obstacles, and hardships. So here's the main idea of my message, and I'll walk us through this. It's this. Discipleship is defined by going the distance for Christ. So this morning, I want to, as as best as I can in just a few minutes, inform and guide and drill down, based on God's word, what it means to go the distance. Because I think when you go the distance, watch this, friends, is when people notice the most. When the people you're praying for, who you want them to know and experience Christ, that's when they notice Christ the most, is when you go the distance for him to the end. Three marks of a disciple prepared to go the distance for Christ. It's perseverance in facing resistance and persecution. Number two, boldness in seizing divine appointments. And thirdly, it's faithfulness in nurturing long-term relationships, faithfulness. And and in many ways, these three points, I think, are just a summary of actually the last three days we've been together. So hopefully it ties in the last last three messages and the last three days that we've been together. Number one is this. The first mark of a disciple prepared to go to the distance for the gospel is perseverance in facing resistance and persecution. Paul and Barnabas are on the move. Where the gospel is being preached, people are uh, coming to know Christ, they stay. When there's persecution, uh, they stay as long as they can unless, until their lives are threatened and they move on. Look with me in verses 1 through 6. Once again, it says in verse 2, the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles, poisoned their minds against the brothers. And then in verse 5, um, they, were, uh, they were attempting to get people to, to, to mistreat them and to stone them. But how does Paul and Barnabas respond to the trouble, division, and commotion caused by those who oppose them. Look with me in verse 3. I love it. They heard this was happening. It's (laughs) brewing. Verse 3, they remained for a long time, speaking boldly. They remained steadfast in preaching the word of God and demonstrating God's miraculous power. That's a mark of a disciple. When things get hot, I believe Pastor D.L. preached on this not too long ago, when things get hot, you trust the one who's in the fire with you even more. Amen? 
they remained steadfast. They remained, they spoke boldly and bore witness to the word of grace. And later on, actually, uh, I didn't read it, but in verses 19 through 20, um, actually the threats of being stoned actually came to be a reality. Look with me in verse 19. Then the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. They're in a different city now. And so even the Jews, they were following. They were, they were causing and citing uh, crowds and mobs to, to even come from other cities to go after Paul and Barnabas. Look with me in verse 19. They stoned Paul. And they dragged him out of the city, supposing he was dead. They stoned him so badly, they dragged him out of the city as if it was a carcass. He was dead. But look with me in verse 20. I think it's a beautiful picture here of the church at its best. But when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up. You saw that last night, and I think this is uh, the culture and I believe the spirit of this church. When someone gets beat down by life and the world, the disciples rally around them, and you get up. Amen? I love the story. I heard Tony Evans preach. He's a preacher in, in Dallas. He said when he was at the the doorstep of Lazarus's tomb. And again, there's wailing and crying, and even Lazarus' sister's like, what happened here, Jesus? We told you about this. You delayed. Look now, our brother's been dead. And there, Tony Evans makes an interesting and a profound insight because the tombs in Jesus' day, as you know, from his death and resurrection, there was a stone that covered the entrance of the tomb. And there was actually two commands that embodied Lazarus' resurrection. The first one is he's told his disciples to roll away the stone. And then he said, Lazarus, come on out. Resistance, persecution, hardship for living for Christ is a given. It comes in various forms. But what helps us to persevere is the body of Christ. He told the body of Christ, he told Lazarus' friend, get that stone out of here. And I want you to see what I can only do in his life, and he'll do through the cross his own resurrection. Brothers and sisters, as we see and as we saw visibly, tangibly, and I think it was really the church at its best, I... uh, Actually, last night, um, I haven't seen something like that. And I actually picture that's what happened in the New Testament. Someone got released from prison. Like I preached it on Sunday morning. They went to their house church. He said, hey, guys, you know, uh, we got arrested. We were threatened. But here we are. I'm still standing. And they surrounded them and they praised God and prayed for them. Brothers and sisters, friends. There is resistance, persecution, and opposition, but I pray we would not uh, minimize or discount the role that each of us plays in helping one another to persevere and to press on in the midst of resistance and persecution. And there is persecution and resistance because there's fruit. The greater the effectiveness of the fruitfulness of a ministry, the greater the resistance, opposition, and persecution that can be expected. 
How is it possible to persevere and endure in sharing the good news, living for Christ, living out the gospel? It's, of course, it's our security and our, and our identity is based in Christ, but also we're focused on the glory and the reality of heaven. And I'll just share this as, as, as I prepare to go to my second point. Sometimes the greatest resistance, opposition, and hardship actually comes from within the family of God. Some of you, and I was really blessed to hear this, uh, one of the sisters here, who I won't name, one of the reasons she moved out from living with her folks is because while she was living under her parents' provision and coverage under their household, they really, they really weren't a big fan of how much she was giving to this church. And she had lived with them for many years as an adult. And she did what was very, uh, that's very unnatural and not common in, in Asian American cultures. She is a single lady. She moved out at a cost to herself, but for the cause of freely serving the body of Christ here. Sometimes the greatest persecution, resistance, and opposition comes from within the body. Not to judge those who do so, but recognize that sometimes it comes from within. I remember actually the last, when I was living in Merritt Island back in the late 90s, um, it was about one or one and a half years into my commitment to the ministry where I was serving. And, and at the time, I had made a three-year commitment. And... Uh, um, yeah, it was, it was hard, and I forget which brother shared last night here talking about just the, the cost of, of being in ministry. It was hard, and yet uh, it wasn't hard because I knew I was exactly where God wanted me to be. Um, and I was just maybe a week or two away from a long-term assignment overseas that I had the privilege of working with one of the orphanages and the, uh, with the street children of a particular country in sub-Saharan Africa. So I was getting ready to leave for about a three-month assignment. And, and uh, right beforehand, about a week or two beforehand, I get a phone call from somebody I've heard of in New Jersey, where I'm from, but I didn't think he knew me because I really didn't know him. It was a senior pastor of a church. Um, it was a senior pastor of a church, of a well-known church in the denomination my parents were a part of. He personally tracked me down, found my number. I guess he got it from my parents, and he called me to offer me a job. He knew I had a youth ministry background. He had probably the largest youth ministry in probably that part of New Jersey, maybe North Jersey. And he called to give me an offer without even really knowing me because he heard about me through my whatever, my parents and so forth. So he said, Sam, would you come? I'll fly you up next weekend. You speak, we'll visit, and I'll give you a job. That's a prestigious position and opportunity. Um, and just, again, I don't say this so that anyone has kind of feels sympathy for me, but full-time, back in the late 90s, I was making $600 a month. Wow, right? Yeah, of course, you have lots of roommates. <laughs> course to make that work and you know you go to the clearance aisle in Publix okay it's all right you eat Doritos for dinner it's okay all right there's worse things that could happen for your faith all right 600 a month and he was offering me a full-time job at a very well-known church probably very comfortable in terms of package and salary and so forth um, and it was pretty much sight unseen he was offering me the job and I just said uh, to this pastor I said I'm, I'm flattered I'm honored but um, I already made a commitment I'm about to leave for this abroad assignment I'm just where God wants me to be. Thank you so much. I'm really flattered. 
And he does what a lot of Korean pastors or first-gen pastors do when you turn them down. He said, pray about it. <laughs> and I'll call you in one week. Okay. So I said, I will. I, you know, that's fair. That's fair. I'll, I'll pray. Give me a week and we can reconnect a week later. Um, well, within hours, my parents called me. What are you thinking? <laughs> this pastor, for whatever reason, he doesn't call people. He has his people call people. He called you? You said no? I said, but I gave my word. I, you know, I, I don't feel any, any kind of deviation from my calling, my conviction, where I'm at and where I'm supposed to be. And then my parents said, okay, okay. You said, you're going to pray, right? Pray. Yes, pray. I said, of course, I'll pray, I'll pray, I'll pray. Some of you have parents like that. God bless them. And so every morning, my parents would call me at 7.30 every day. Have you prayed? Yes, I have prayed. Have you made up your decision? No, 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 no. So I was so tired of it. And this is pre-cell phone time, right? I was so tired of it. I left my house at 7.15 to the point where they couldn't get a hold of me. And then the week came up. The pastor called me back. And he said, have you prayed? I go, yeah, I've prayed. Have you made a decision? Yes. I said, respectfully, my, my mind hasn't been changed. Thank you so much for the offer. He hung up. <laughs> He hung up. My parents, I don't think they called me after that. So disappointed. But during that trip, that's where my heart for the, the least, the poorest. I went to a country called Mozambique. At the time, that life expectancy was 45. They were recovering from civil war. And, and actually, that's where I got my call to seminary. There's so many things that God had prepared for me. And again, I don't question, I don't judge the pastor, my parents. But I'm here to share with you and encourage you that if you know what God has called you to do, where he's called you to be, and how he's called you to serve and to proclaim and share his name, expect resistance, opposition, and hardship, but trust that God is able to sustain you empower you, surround you with friends so that you can keep on following him by faith. Amen? But expect it. Not just from outside the family or the faith, but even from within the family. And how is that possible? Again, Ephesians chapter 5, it says to be filled by the Spirit. And Galatians 5, 16 says to be walking in the Spirit. Because this is how we know that we are able to resist, able to persevere, is when the Spirit of Christ dwells within us and makes himself, uh, demonstrates himself through us. Perseverance. Perseverance. Let me go to the second point. Again, I just want to walk through uh, these points and some of these texts. The second mark of a disciple, prayer to go the distance for Christ. Again, number one, perseverance in facing resistance and persecution, especially externally but internally for most of us living in North America. But number two is boldness in seizing divine appointments. 
boldness in seizing divine appointments. While Paul and Barnabas, they weren't afraid of suffering for the sake of the gospel, they were also not foolish or reckless to cut short their witness and ministry when their lives would be threatened. Look in verses 6 through 7. They learned of it, again, this uprising, this commotion, this threat. They fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia and the surrounding country, and there, it says in verse 7, they continue to preach the gospel. Oftentimes, persecution leads to, continues God's mission in his way. That's how they saw it. They saw if this door is closed, people don't want us here, we'll go to the next city and see what God has in store for us. And then while they're preaching in Lystra, Paul sees an opportunity to demonstrate God's healing power. Look with me in verses 8 through 10. Now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, looking intently at him, seeing that he had faith to be made well, verse 10. This is how you know it was faith. He said this in a loud voice. Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. Subsequently, this leads to another opportunity to preach to the crowds because, of course, a a miraculous, uh, a miracle right before their eyes will draw a crowd. And as the crowds were coming coming together, uh, they actually thought they were Greek mythological deities. They mistakenly identified as such. And so Paul responds to that in verses 15 through 17. Let's read that together. Men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, yet... Excuse me. He did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Paul was just, again, God, I think, really used his mind and his ability to to read the crowd and understand the culture, to, to meet people where they were. And yet, Paul, being faithful, and making the most of this opportunity to boldly proclaim the gospel, he always ends with the gospel. Brothers and sisters, whenever these opportunities arise, and I believe God will and has placed them in your lives to, to, to speak and to share, I want to encourage you to speak and to share. Because God will and has and continues to send divine appointments our way. And who are the divine appointments in your lives? Here are the divine appointments in your life. Those people, for whatever reason, ask you about spiritual matters. And you didn't didn't actually start the conversation. But they'd come up to you and say, what gives you hope? Why Why in the midst of this time of your life do you seem to have something that I don't have? Why don't you speak negatively about your spouse, even though everybody in the office does? What is it that you see in him or her that's different? Why, why, why do you use your weekends differently than ours? Again, they're just going to, because they notice, they'll ask, and I believe those are called divine appointments. It's the boldness and the confidence and the courage to seize those. 
How is it possible for us to be bold in sharing and living out our faith? Again, it's because our identity is not based on what that person thinks of us or our, uh, our colleagues or our clients or our classmates think of us or the other moms or the other dads on these sports teams think of us. It's not any of that. It's because of what Christ thinks of us. And if what Christ thinks of us is most important and the most powerful, then we should be free to share. Once again, um, the worst thing they could call you, really the worst thing they can call you is a Christian. But actually, that's the most beautiful thing they can call you at the same time. Um, David Platt, uh, I quoted him yesterday. He says this, and this is a good reminder for a church, every church, your church, my church, that God has not redeemed you to dwell in a Christian bubble. He has redeemed you to spread the Christian gospel. Harvest. Harvest, brothers and sisters. If you're not careful, you could be like a lot of churches that I know and even the church where I serve that we forget we're workers in his harvest, amen? There are people, there are lives, there are stories, burdens, and pains that God has placed around you to hopefully point them to the source of the only one who gives them hope, healing, and ultimate freedom in heaven from those things. Harvest, my prayer for you and I pray it will be your prayer for one another and yourselves, is you would live up to the name of your church. That you would see your neighborhoods, you would see the developments that are going up left and right, you see these schools that you drive by, you see these businesses, you see these ball fields as fields white with harvest. And God is sending you, has already sent people into your lives to hopefully boldly, humbly, lovingly proclaim the hope that you have in Christ. Uh, we have a neighbor uh, who moved um, away two years ago, and uh, their girls were a little younger than ours. Um, and But our girls, we had girls, they had girls, so we, they played a lot. Our girls, God bless them. Um, uh, they just they just really loved on the younger neighbor's kids. And the, the wife, she's outgoing, she's garrulous, she's, uh, she's a gatherer, she's very social. And so when we were sad when the Kreider family uh, decided to move away. Very sad because we just had a strong affinity, mutual respect, love, and admiration for this family. Now, we found out just in, over the course of conversation that uh, the, uh, the wife, Diana, she actually came from a ho household of faith. That was her background. And, and, and Ryan, again, great guy. He had Christians in his family and in his friendships, but they personally were not followers of Christ. They didn't attend a church. They weren't a part of a church. And then uh, it's very interesting. Before they moved away, we invited them over for dinner. And then uh, I, I'll never forget this. Um, two things that happened over that dinner. And it was a simple dinner. I think we served tacos. You know, <laughs> it was just simple. Uh, I sat in the back. I, I stood in the back patio. Ryan, uh, who smokes, he's, he's smoking a cigarette. And he says, Sam, I'm, I, and I don't know how we got onto this. He said, I, I have to give, I have to give re religion some credit. 
There's something about religion I really respect. I go, oh, really, Ryan? What? He said, uh, and again, I, could, I didn't try to nuance it and tease it out, but he says, there's something about religion where there's hope. Divine appointment. He was, he was inviting me to explain the hope that I had. There's something about religion, even though I'm not religious, there's hope in religion. And he's puffing away. And then before they left our dinner table, Diana said to us, uh, we're moving next week. Would you offer a prayer of blessing? We're going to gather our neighbors. Would you pray for us? And sadly, we were going to be away on the day. We're going to be in Toronto. I said, can I pray for you guys right now? The appointments um, are all over the world, and I've seen them in different places around the world, but also they're right under your nose. They're even amongst your children, amongst your relatives, again, your colleagues, your classmates, your closest friends, your high school buddies, your golfing buddies, those you play, you know, those you, uh, you, you, again, live, work, and play with. Ask for them and seize them with humble confidence and boldness in Christ. Amen. I think that's really a mark of a disciple. A mark of a disciple is Christ matters so much to them, they don't think what other, they're not so concerned of what other people think of them. They're more concerned about what they can come to consider about Christ. That we are willing to lose potentially socially a casual friendship to gain an eternal brother or sister in Christ. Amen. The worst thing they could call you is a Christian. Ah, you're a Christian. Thank you very much. And hopefully we can show them as well as share with them the hope for the reason that we have. I, I, I just want to say this one statement, and I'll get to my last point. The gospel is for us, but it doesn't end with us. Harvest, the gospel is for each of you. Christ died for each of you but didn't only die for each of you. And the a mark of a disciple, the mindset of the disciple, is to see others, see their lives, see their, their spheres of influence and circles of friendships through that grid and with that heart. So last, third and last point. I'm sorry, it's a Monday morning on Labor Day. My energy is low. But hopefully, the whispers of the Holy Spirit uh, will hopefully be what uh, helps resonate uh, and, and follows you after this message. Number three is this, faithfulness in nurturing long-term relationships. Faithfulness in nurturing long-term re- relationships. After ministry in the city of Lystra, they proceeded to another town called Derby. It's about southeast of Lystra, which actually on Paul's missionary journey was the, was the furthest he was away from kind of the sending city of Antioch. So he hit Iconium, Lystra, and Derby. And, and it says, thank, uh, it says in, in the word that there was fruit there in verse 21, if you just look there, when they preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. So there, it was a brief mention. It's very brief, but the God, uh, God was faithful. The, the, the gospel transformed lives and disciples were made. And then did, and I want, I end with this. They did something that most of us after a vacation would not do. Uh, I don't know about you, 
the, the best part of the vacation is leaving for vacation. The worst part of vacation is coming home. Okay, uh, for m- multiple reasons. One of, it, uh, uh, one of them is, whatever reason, when I'm driving to Toronto, uh, where my wife is from, it seems like it's a three-hour drive because I can't wait for the Chinese food. I can't wait to be spoiled by my mother-in-law. I can't wait to see some friends, okay? And I just, it just zooms by. But uh, on the way back, I'm looking at the fastest way home because I'm tired. I really don't have as much to look forward to. And if you're like me, I just can't wait to get home. And that's, that drive instead of 10 hours feels like 25 hours. just want to get home as soon as possible. But Paul and Barnabas don't do that. It's, they, they demonstrate and display another mark of discipleship. It's this, follow through. Because every relationship that God puts in your life, especially a close-knit one, it's an opportunity to foster a long-term one as well. So what they did was this. They intentionally retraced their steps, even though their steps included threats and dangers. Remember one of those cities where, is where st- that Paul was stoned so badly they thought he was dead. So he actually went back into those cities, into those hotbeds, into the places where his life was almost put to an end. Why? Is, is Paul kind of out of his mind? Is Paul foolish? No, because there's disciples, brothers and sisters he wanted to encourage. So he went back. You know, if he went straight from, uh, from Derby to Antioch, it would, it would have been a straight shot south. It was faster. It was quicker, safer. But he does something else. He does something that only I believe the Spirit of God could lead him and encourage him and empower him to do. He goes back to each of these cities and he encourages them. He continues to disciple them. So verse 22, this is what he does. I'm I'm ending on this verse. Strengthening the souls of the disciples and encouraging them to continue in the faith, saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. One of the most powerful ways we do discipleship on a peer level, not just on an older brother, sister, uh, older sister level, which is, again, it's, it's, is, is the ministry of just showing up. Saying, you've been going through some hard times. Uh, and, and please, I'll just give you this one little pastoral advice or guidance. Uh, I never say I know what you're going through. This is what I say. Actually, I say the opposite. I don't know what you're going through. When I say that, it's amazing. People actually open up more. But I follow it by saying the statement. I care about you. That's what I do know. And that's why I'm here. You lost your kid? I don't know what that's like, but I care about you. You broke up with someone? I don't know what that's like. Even if I had many breakups in my life, because that was, that's their breakup. That's their grieving, mourning, loss, and trauma. But I care about you. That's why I'm here. And Paul and Barnabas, their ministry of discipleship, and we'll walk through this in just a, just a quick minute, is multifold, but it was the ministry of presence. 
of knocking on that door, sending them a text, not letting them cancel on you. These people who don't want to be ministered to, they usually cancel, and I don't judge them. But if God's put them on my heart, I don't let them off the hook. The language that I use amongst our staff, you know, as I try to just, you know, just give them some guidance on how to do pastoral ministry, is I say, you never cancel, you always reschedule. Someone says, oh, I can't make it, can we cancel? Absolutely. When, when, so when are we meeting? Like, whoa, 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 whoa. You have a phone, don't you? Yeah, 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 yeah. Let's pull it out. I know we can't make it, but part of the text is, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, okay. Oh, so that came up. No problem. So what's the rescheduled date and location? Because too often in our Christian community, we're like, oh, I'll catch up to you later. Well, we, uh, check this out. We have to get together. <laughs> you hear that all? We have to get together. Bye. Coffee and donuts. How about we have to get together? Okay, here's my phone. I know it's awkward. I know you want to go. Your kids are pulling at you. But let's take 30 seconds. Okay, what, that date's good. That date's good. Okay, for me, let's confirm. We'll confirm. Oh, if something comes up, well, we'll, we'll reschedule. It's okay. It's easier to reschedule than to set up an appointment last minute. Because there's a ministry of presence, a persistence of pursuing them right to their deepest shame, representing, hopefully embodying, being a channel and a conduit and a vessel of God's grace to them. So they strengthen them by just showing up. What, Paul? But what are you doing here? Paul, Paul come on, come on. There's a, there's a bounty for you. Your people are still buzzing about how they want to get you. and Get in here. And Paul and Barnabas, I can almost imagine Paul and Barnabas, especially Paul, like, yeah, let them see me. <laughs> I'm here. You see, they can try to take my life, but they can't take my soul. You see, to live is Christ and to die is the gain. So, yeah, I, I know I shouldn't you know, make a public scene and draw unnecessary attention as I come back to the city that try to take my life. But I'm here to tell you, to live is Christ and it's to die is gain. I've been crucified with Christ. It is not I who live, but Christ who lives within me. Therefore, I'm here. Let's keep pressing on. Let's keep on pursuing Christ. Let's keep spreading the gospel in word and deed for the glory glory of God and for the good of others. That's discipleship. So they strengthened the souls, encouraged them. They, how do they do so? They gave encouragement by just, again, walking into their suffering, walking into their context and saying, I'm going to be your armor bearer for a couple of days. I'm going to be an armor bearer for you for just an hour. And I'm going to stand with you in the storms and the persecutions, the hardships that you're facing and enduring for the sake of Christ. They also taught the believers in verse 22. It's explicit that Paul used, uh, part of their encouragement includes exhortation and warning about the many tribulations that accompany the life of a follower of Christ. You see, teaching people about suffering and talking about it openly and preparing people well is actually preparing people to know Christ more. It's not to scare them from following Christ. It's actually, according to Paul in Philippians chapter 2, it's actually how we know Christ because we have fellowship with Christ in our sufferings and helping people to have a theology of suffering for the sake of the gospel. So he says that up front, and again, he models it, and he teaches it from God's word. And thirdly, 
and I'm about to wrap up here, is they prayed and fasted with them. That's what it says in verse 23. It may be the most important and the most powerful act they did with the disciples they followed up on. They had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting. They committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. That's how Paul and Barnabas were sent out through prayer and fasting. And before they left these cities, left these young believers, uh, this young church in each of these cities, they prayed and fasted with them and for them. That's, that's one way we can, again, uh, intentionally, uh, intentionally nurture long-term relationships by praying with them and fasting with them and for them and for their witness and their growth in Christ. But it requires sacrifice. It requires um, inconvenience on our part uh, of our time, schedule, energy, and resources. Um, making people a priority more than possessions or our personal pleasures for the sake of building others in Christ. And how can we do so? How in God's name are we able to do so in this day and age with our schedules, our life stage, all the demands of our life? It's because of the cross. Not to be oversimplistic, but I don't want to, I don't want to dilute this is the reason why Paul did everything. And every Christian does everything. What they do is because of the cross. That's what Paul says in Philippians chapter 2. Do nothing from selfish ambition, but in humility uh, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not look to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind amongst yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on in Philippians to talk about Christ went lower and lower and lower so he could lift others up and ultimately God would exalt him to the highest place. Everything we do for others is in response to the cross. I close with this story, which I think is one of my favorite stories because it it involves the author that I quoted last night, Michael Card. Michael Card, uh, he had a professor who was a was an instrumental figure in his spiritual development and growth and maturity. He was a professor at the university that they were both attending, uh, Dr. William Lane, a New Testament scholar. He taught at a university, uh, Western Kentucky University, and uh, one of his students was Michael Card, a, a, a budding musician and uh, a young man of faith. They developed a friendship over time that led into a discipleship type of mentorship relationship. And then Michael Card writes about a very, very profound and powerful conversation they had after uh, Dr. Lane uh, called him out of the blue many years later. You see, Dr. Lane, like many professors, moved on to a different university, but they maintained contact, but they weren't in touch on a regular basis. So out of the blue, uh, Michael Michael Card recalls a phone call he received from Dr. Lane, and it was not good news. And the phone call included sharing that Dr. Lane was dying of cancer. And then a very odd request that followed. Dr. Lane said to Michael, I want to, and it was a terminal cancer where he just literally had weeks and months to live. Michael, I'm coming to live with you. I'm coming to your city to live with you. Because I don't want you to just remember how to start the Christian race. I don't want you just to think that being a fan of Jesus in the stands is what discipleship is all about. But Dr. Lane said these words, I want to show you how a Christian 
man dies. That my hope, my gaze, my joy is before me. That I want to be faithful to Christ to the end and finish the race, keep the faith, and fight the faith. Brothers and sisters, as I leave, not to be melodramatic, I'll be back. <laughs> um, but as we end this R&R, again, considering the garden, the wilderness, um, and again, just the struggles, the hardships that we face, the wilderness is a boot camp. The promised land is a battlefield. And God more than just wants us to cross over. He wants us to represent him and experience hope, victory in his name and help to spread his glory and his fame. And I just want to leave that with you. Discipleship is about perseverance. Again, not by yourself, but with the body of Christ rallying around you so you can rise up in the face of resistance and persecution, boldness and seizing divine appointments based on your identity in Christ. And thirdly, faithfulness in nurturing long-term relationships by your presence, by your words, um, and just by your heart and prayers for others encourages them to press on. Amen? Let's pray together as I close. Father, I thank you so much for men like Paul and Barnabas, but also men like the brothers in this room, sisters like the sisters in this room. And I pray that they would embody, they would espouse, they would display hope in the gospel no matter any sphere, any season of their lives. I commit them to you. I commit David Larry, my friend, your son, your servant, Olivia, his wife, to you. I pray I could commit the shepherds, the house church shepherds and their spouses and their children to you. I commend those who've called Harvest home for years. I commend those who are coming home to Christ through Harvest to you. I commend the people in their lives who don't know Jesus, but they can smell Jesus through the members of Harvest to you. And I pray for this area, this part of Central Florida, and again, the nations, because I know they're about the nations as well as their neighbors. I pray for the workers around the world that they support, fast, and pray and give towards that they would experience power and presence in the gospel. I commit them to you. Thank you, Jesus, for being faithful, for being near, for being our righteousness, our reason to have hope, to have joy, to forgive and to be forgiven completely and fully. Thank you, Jesus. I commit this beloved part of my family into your capable, strong, and firm hands. And I pray as they're in your hands that also you'd release them for kingdom work, expansion, of the family of God through signs and wonders and bold proclamation and word and deed of the gospel. Thank you, Jesus. Now, would you seal some things as we pray, as we sing, 
as we prepare to return to the divine appointments right underneath our noses, at home, in our neighborhoods, to those you've put in our lives and you've put us in theirs. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.